John is my name. And Ian is my name. And it's been a while since we last spoke to you. We thought we'd have a bit of a summer hiatus. Mm. Um, because, you know, nothing's been going on in the world. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a slow news month, hasn't it? Yeah. So when, when we last spoke, um, Boris Johnson was Prime Minister. Was he? Uh, was he still Prime Minister only four weeks ago? I mean, he's still Prime Minister now. I mean, was, he, was it just before the no confidence stuff? I think it all began. No, I, I think so. It must have been just about then. I think it was all beginning to fall apart, wasn't it? Yeah, because uh, I think that the Chris Pincher stuff had just started to come out. It had, but the the, the onslaught of resignation it was the next hadn't. two days or three days. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we so we missed the carnival um, of all the different people. Remember when we thought um, Sajid Javid might become prime minister? Tom Tugendhat. Uh, Jeremy Hunt. Uh, Kimmy oh. Babinock. <laughs> there was Kenny a weird, Morden. There was, there was a, a weird three or four Morden. days. Yeah, there was a weird three or four days where everyone was saying, like, definitely going to be Penny Morden. Or Penny Morden's definitely going to be the Prime Minister. <laughs> and, then, and, and then it was like, oh, it's definitely going to be Rishi. And now it's basically just, well, it's definitely going to be Liz Truss. Like, there's no, there's not even any doubt now. It's just, yeah, it's going to be Liz Truss. I know. It's absolutely um, flabbergasting, really, that. I mean, I know I haven't watched the most no. recent debates. I haven't two- watched it. I refuse to watch the debates because there's absolutely zero point because I don't get to vote. And not that I would vote for either of them anyway if it was a general election, but it does feel a bit odd that there's so much airtime on telly and various internet places when there's a, like about 140,000 people in the whole of the UK can actually vote. Yeah. But the BBC and ITV and Channel 4 are going to give them all these debates. It's, it's very peculiar. So I haven't seen, I, I've seen little bits and pieces of it, but I just... I, I don't see the point in watching it because I already, like, I know it's, it's not like these are two... The, the way that they're acting is, like, the media are acting is if these are two people they've never heard of and we're just learning about Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. These are two folk who've been part of the government for years. We've known who they were for years. We've known what they're like for years. So I already knew what Liz Truss was like and I, I knew what Rishi Sunak was like, so I didn't really need to watch the debate. And from what I've seen, they've both basically behaved and spoken as I would expect them to. Yeah, they've lived down to expectations. They have. Uh, and Liz Truss has been as... I mean, in the bits I've seen, Liz Truss has been abysmal. As She's been as abysmal as I would expect her to be. And yet, she is by far the frontrunner to become the Prime Minister. Oh, most definitely. I mean, I've watched the first... I watched the five when there was five of them. I watched the debates when there was all five of them. Um, because, I mean, as much as anything else is, it was summer. And mm. also the fact that I de- genuinely had never heard Badenoch, Tugendhat, mm-hmm. or uh, Morden speak. Yeah. I'd never heard them speak. I'd, I'd, I'd heard of Tugendhat, and I think I had heard him speak in like, you know, the select committees and stuff, but I didn't really know anything you know other than... really annoys well, me about Tom Tugendhat is like, everybody's been going on about how he was like the kind of new, you know, taking things in a new direction. He was the anti-Boris candidate and... Like, my mum was like, oh, he's wonderful. You know, he's so unlike Boris and he'd be a great Prime Minister. And who's he supporting? Let's trust the Boris exactly. Johnson candidate. I mean, oh, it's, it's just sickening. It is sickening. I think not that, the, I'd be, I, not that I'd been back in Vishy Sunak either, but like, <laughs> I mean, they're both, I mean, 
it's it's a horrible situation having to pick either of them. It's like basically deciding, you know, do I go and stay with Fred West? You know, that is basically <laughs> what it's that kind of choice. I don't see it as being a great choice. But in terms of just someone who looks like they could be a prime minister and has a bit of professionalism about them, basic, very basic professionalism about them, you would pick Rishi Sunak because I mean, I don't like him. I don't like what he stands for. I don't like his attitudes. A lot of things. But just in terms of competence, if you were just picking someone on competency alone, you'd pick Rishi Sunak. And I don't understand. I cannot get my head around the fact that the majority of folk, and in the media, are now basically trying to convince the public that Liz Truss is the one. She's the, she's the one with the gravitas and the dignity and the professionalism to be the Prime Minister. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's an interesting thing. Is We were, we were talking um, before um, we came on air about, about car mechanics. And I, and I just had this sudden thought then as you were talking about competency. And um, go through anything in your life. If you walked into a doctor's surgery, a GP surgery, and you had, you'd, you'd watched Liz Truss speak to somebody, and you'd watch Rishi Sunak talk to somebody as a GP, which one would you want to go to? Mm-hmm. You'd go to G- Rishi Sunak. If you were a solicitor going, uh, sorry, if you needed a solicitor yeah. and it was the choice between those two, if, if your kid was, was at school and you had those two as your potential teachers, yes. like you go through any profession. Oh, any, anything. Like if you're sitting in a barber's and there's two hairdressers and one was like, Russell, one was with Rishi, you'd be like, Rishi, please. If you were in the yeah. supermarket and there was like checkout people and one was yes. Rishi and one was less trust, you'd be like, she'll probably lose some of my shopping or wrong change me. He looks at, like, at least he knows what he's doing. Well, well, she would she would have such big pauses between swiping your items <laughs> for no apparent reason. She would but, at know, the end she'd be like, "That will be one hundred and twenty two. You know, like weird pauses in between like words and sentences. <laughs> I mean, really, genuinely, she would. And I think that that's the thing is, and and it's that it's the normalization that's going on, and you can see it. It's it's mm-hmm. the fact that our our media. Is is not fit for purpose. We said this many did times. You, did you not see that clip of her going to visit the school kids last week? And they all oh, just took yeah. the rip out of her. Yeah, they did. She was like yeah. a really rubbish supply teacher. Yeah, but and they, they were like it, making fun of her and making fun of Boris, and she, like she didn't have the presence. Like even with Boris Johnson, that wouldn't have happened. Like no. she's so inept that that's that's her photo op is going to the school and the kids just take the rip out of her. Exactly. I mean, mind you, I mean, we had last, was it two years ago, we had Rishi going into a school telling yes. everyone that he was a coke addict. Oh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't think, you know, neither the, it's the normalisation that I hate. Mm. It's the normalisation that, like, there's the uh, polit- politics editor or the politics correspondent at the Eye paper, who's like this big, he's like he, Paul Wise called, and he's a really passionate person around climate change. And um, he really, you know, he, he properly, I, he, I'm sure he's got many things that he cares deeply about, but climate change is definitely one. And I was like, oh, he's absolutely going to rip the pair of these constantly, constantly, all the way through. But he's normalizing Liz Trust now. Like, oh, she's quite, you know, she, she showed that she's got some compassion or she showed that she's got a huma- human side to her. And he's normalizing her rubbishness to make it seem like a strength. And so that when she becomes prime minister, he can report on her as though she's fit for office until she's not fit for office. Well, they did the same with Johnson, though. Like they just exactly. Nobody ever just said, we've got a clown in charge of the country. What is going on? I mean, they did at the end, even at the end, though, even now, you listen to the BBC. I mean, they've just, I mean, I, I, I don't know why I do this to myself. I felt like it was some kind of 
self-inflicted torture that I was doing. I listened to Adam Fleming's eight-part Boris podcast. Oh, I haven't been able to read. I, I haven't gone near it. And, you know, but do you know who he has guests on to talk about Boris Johnson? Jacob rees Mogg's one of his guests. Why is that guy <laughs> on a BBC thing talking about anything? He's a, he's a moron. Yeah. And he is. Just because he speaks in a plummy accent doesn't make him intelligent. No, it doesn't. And it's that not, but they did it with Theresa May. If you remember, Theresa May was this lion. She was yeah. an absolute lion until until Strong and Stable became like, the, yeah. she had that dreadful press conference. And then they, you know, John Crace and The Guardian especially called her the Maybot and it caught yeah. on. And, um, but even when, once she had that month of June after she'd kind of screwed up the election and there was the Grenfell situation and it was all a big mess. And then by the time it got to about the September, the, the, all the letters fell off her speech. And so she was still a joke. And then it got to about November time and people began to start calling her courageous. Mm-hmm. Because they can't call her courageous because she was still trying to battle through Brexit and she was trying yeah. to do and, and all of a sudden this woman who had been a laughing stock, they normalized her again and made her a prime minister. Until such times as the, all those Brexit votes completely destroyed her in twenty nineteen again. Excuse me. But they do they do sort of normalize completely the prime ministers until they can't not. That's the thing. Is only people like James O'Brien yeah. manage to consistently sort of take them to task. He's a fact that I mean, it's one of the things. Is I sometimes James O'Brien annoys me because I do think there's a a, a rather large arrogance to everything mm. he thinks is the right thing. He doesn't have that much doubt, mm. but he at least is the only one that is doesn't give the benefit of the doubt. No, you know, and you've got to respect that, I suppose. Yeah, and he does, he's been doing the same with the two candidates. He's been yes. quite already coruscated because because we're, 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 we've got these two people saying like the economy's broken, everything's broken, we need to fix it. Especially Rishi Sunak saying the economy's broken, I'm the man to fix it. It's like, sorry, who's been the chancellor? I hate to tell you, you you you've been in charge of the economy for the last few years. Yeah. If the economy's broken, it's your fault. Yeah, and and, and, they they, have... and that's the thing they, because they are both have had two of the most senior roles in. The government over the last four years, five years, whatever it's been, I don't know, lose track of thing now. But they've both been such senior members of members of the government. So funny. But then the same thing happened in 2019 when, when Boris Johnson was going for his election. It was like, yeah. we're gonna change this, we're gonna do things differently, we're gonna wipe out the last 10 years of misery. And you're like, you've been in charge for 10 years, and now we've got these two saying we're gonna do things differently from the party that we've been part of that's destroyed the country for the last 12 years. I know, I know one of the things is with Johnson, do you know, Johnson is one of the few where you can actually, I mean, it's funny because his 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 government was so different from May's in that it was so much worse. And and they took new routes towards things, um, which were so much worse than, than a lot of what Theresa May had done. But so you can sort of see him sort of saying, yes, we are a brand new page. But mm. these guys, they have no ideas. At least Boris no. Johnson had. Well, they, I mean, it was, no, they do. They do. Cut Did taxes. He? Cut taxes, because that's going to help. I mean, it's like one says, I'm not going to cut taxes now, but I will later. And one says, oh, we need to cut them now. Because that's going to get the economy booming. It's cutting taxes. And, well, and, well, well, the, you know, while the British gas or Scottish gas or whoever announced their ridiculous mm, profits, people get a wee bit off their tax. It's going to make a difference. It's going to make a yeah. massive difference. And, and, and low paid people can't get raises because that will increase inflation. Yes, of but, course. 
You know, I mean, it's absolutely flabbergasting. And they have nothing to say on those things. They, well, they genuinely have nothing the, the, the to say. The reason they have nothing to say, though, is because those the people who those things affect are not going to be voting in the leadership election. No, very true. That's the depressing thing. is, And that's why I hate these debates, because they're just, that's why they're so horrible about climate change. And they're not talking about benefits. And they're not talking about helping people who are in sort of low paid, low paid employment, because these people generally are not members of the Conservative Party who will get to vote on who's the leader next no. month or a month's I, time. I know, and one of the things is, I mean, I'm sure, I'd, you know, like, middle-class people, the thing, the, the things that really haunt middle-class people at the moment, and do you know what, they don't even have answers for that, is the social care thing. Yeah. Because it's the social care thing of middle-class people who've worked all their lives, I mean, working-class people have worked all their lives too, but this, this, this idea that working middle-class people who've worked all their lives, they now have a good pension, but and they've got this house that they own that's worth hundreds of thousands of pounds. And the thing that they're absolutely petrified is what happens if I get Alzheimer's? Yeah. What happens if I have a stroke and I'm permanently, you know, I need care 24-7? What do I do with that? And do you know the really sad thing is? I, I completely buy the argument is they're not saying anything about low-paid people. They're not saying anything really about cost of living because it doesn't affect the people voting. But they don't even have anything to say. No. about that social care thing that thing that if they could come up with a solution to that that actually makes viable financial sense for, yeah, for normal people the lowering taxes isn't going to help pensioners who are worried about paying for social care no no I and the this. idea of eighty six thousand pounds is the is the cap i know it's different in scotland but in, in england you've got to pay eighty six thousand pounds towards your own care and then the rest comes free from the taxpayer mm. Uh, but bearing in mind is that there's there's two things that go on with that. The first thing is that if you're a ma fair enough, if you're in the south of England and you own a house that's worth four hundred thousand pounds, then actually, you know, and if you're a married couple who both own the house, then you'll still have two hundred thousand pounds to leave to your kids hmm. when the house is sold, even with the fact that you know the pair of you are going to have to pay that money. But if you live in the north of England where I live, uh, a nice three-bedroomed house uh which most people live in is worth about 160 to 180 thousand pounds mm. so that's virtually your entire you know your the entire nest egg that you would plan to sort of either you know leave to your children or or let them come and live in your house once you passed away and that was always going to be the plan or whatever it is that cannot happen and it's if you think about the red wall in inverted commas with the red wall, it's still mainly people over 50 or 60 that are voting conservative in this mm. red wall that was yeah. breached. But they're saying nothing to those people either. And it's so depressing. Is Why aren't you looking at the people that you could actually... Because they have no answers. Because they have no imagination. They have well, no is, competency. Yeah, but this is the problem. We've had, a, we've had a government for three years that's had no... I, like, there's not really been... You could always look at Thatcher or Major, or Blair, or Brown, and Cameron as well, and Theresa May, and see that there was a kind of direction. There was some kind of... You could see there was there was some kind of mission they were on. Whereas with Boris, it was just... Everything's just been reactionary. I mean, admittedly, he's had to deal with a pandemic, and there's been the stuff going on in Ukraine. But even before that, like everything about Boris Johnson's premiership has just been reactionary. Um, it's There's a situation, ignore it, ignore it, ignore it, I can't ignore it anymore, so I'll do something. And that's basically all it's been. You know, the way they've handled the cost of living crisis, you know, they came out with one set of payments they were going to give everybody. And then they realised, okay, that's not enough. 
and then you know they announced more stuff a couple of months ago. And we know that when it comes to like October, they're going to have to do more because oh, the bills. Certainly. I mean, they're, they're talking about people having to pay three or four hundred pounds a month for their gas and electricity, which is insane. It is insane. But it's, it's basically going to be more than ten pounds a day just to have gas and electricity in your house. I don't understand, and I don't, I don't know why nobody is proposing this. There must be some because because they're parliament, they can create a new law. So we can't so. about legality. Well, I'd, I, I well, would like someone just to kind of very in, in very basic words explain to me why. That it's allowed to happen that the gas and electricity companies can continue, despite the huge profits they're making Ooh. and the dividends they're paying out to shareholders. Why are they allowed to, like, right now they're doing that, but in October they're going to put our prices up again. And in March, they've already said, yeah, we're def- we, we, we need to put your prices up again. Why? Yeah. You're already well, making billions. Why do you need to put our prices up again? People exactly. can't afford it. People can't afford it. Why are you doing that? Yeah. And, Shell- and why can't, yeah, why can't the government step in? And yeah, it's the same with the oil companies. Like, why can't they just, the governments step in? Yeah, Why can't I, just somebody high up the UN or the EU or somebody just say, look, you're not doing this anymore. You can't do this to people. People are on their knees. Stop it. We've just had a pandemic. The country and the economies are all knackered. There's a stupid conflict going on in Ukraine because of Putin. Stop this right now. But yeah. no. And again, in the news, and we've, we've talked about this before, it's normalised. Yeah. You know, they have a cost of living couch on the BBC breakfast thing. <laughs> they just take to different towns and they talk to people about their cost of living. Like it's normal, you know. You, yeah. you talk to families. You talk about just putting on more clothes, and it's just you know we'll have somebody on. We'll have this person's going to come on and tell you how to make your shopping last longer and how to spot better bargains and where's best to get reduced food. And you think, why have we normalised this? Why? I mean, yeah. we have. We've normalised incompetency in our leaders. We've normalised this ridiculous um, cost of everything, and the fact that it's even got a name, cost of living crisis. It's like everybody knows yeah. what it is now. About a year ago, we didn't know what that was. It was just living. You didn't talk about the cost of living. That's just that's well, a new thing. Somebody's probably trademarked that and making money. I bet Rishi Sunak trademarked that and making money off that. Well, it's the thing is, the one thing the Johnson government has been quite good at is naming things. Oh, God. Yeah. You know what I mean? It'd be an amazing thing. Catchphrases naming and naming things. things. Brilliant. You know, yeah. um, you know, leveling up. Kind of leveling up is class one, get Brexit done, three words. You know, like it's um, still, don't, still, don't, still don't know. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you're talking about social care. That's what I was just thinking. Like when he won that, when he won the leadership thing in 2019, not the election, but remember he, when he, his first day when he waddled up to the lectern, and one of the first things he said was like, "And social care, this problem we've had for decades of social care, we have a plan and we're ready to deal with the problem of social care." Now, this is a government that had a majority of over 80. They could have done anything they wanted, mm-hmm. and we still. Don't have this social care plan. Three that was three that was three summers ago that he first came into power, and they still haven't done anything about social care. I know it's 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 absolutely. But then that's the thing is they haven't done it when you actually break it down. And I think it's one of the funniest things is he wrote this. I'm sure you you saw this. Is he wrote a two and a half thousand word um, memo note or something to be put into the House of Commons record about his about his mm. own record, about how wonderfully he'd done uh, before, th- this was before the parliament uh, rose for the summer recess. And you're like, well, the thing is, when you actually break it down is, you know, yes, we can look at the pandemic and we can kind of say, you know, the, what, there was a vaccine rollout. We can debate whether it was good or not, but there was mm. one. There was furlough, which was very, very important for people, you know, uh, and there was a deal done on Brexit. Yes. Uh, we can't deny that there was a deal done on Brexit. Uh, 
and he has sent money and funds and weapons to Ukraine. But that's all he's actually done. Yeah, and let's be honest, whoever was Prime Minister, those things would have happened. There would have been a vaccine rollout. There would have been support for people who weren't working, who couldn't work because of the pandemic. Money would have gone to... It's not as if David Cameron or Gordon Brown would have said, well, I'm not giving any money to Ukraine. Of course it would. It still happened. Exactly. Um, So when you actually think about what... I mean, and and in terms of the deal about Brexit, I mean, it's the same deal that Theresa May had. It's maybe not quite as good as Theresa May's deal. But, well, it's yeah, worse. Yeah, it's yeah. It, I mean, the the, the stuff in Ireland, Northern Ireland. I mean, that the irony is, when he lists, you know, I got Brexit done, but then in the same breath, he's also saying the next prime minister has to make sure Brexit gets done. And you're like, well, hang on, I thought you got it done. <laughs> You've been telling everybody for three years you got Brexit done. Now you're saying we need to get Brexit done properly, because you know that they're just they're ramping up for the like. Uh, there's going to be an election in the next year or two, and it's going to be about like we'll get Brexit done. I know. And then and, this, and then and the, the problem is on the other side, you've got Keir Starmer getting himself oh. a ankle. You know, sacking somebody for supporting strikes. You've got Keir Starmer also coming out saying, like, you know, Brexit happened. We just have to make the most of Brexit. And you're like, oh, for God, can we just... I, I, like, why can't he... Why can't anyone in sort of normal... And again, this is something James O'Brien does brilliantly. Just say, look, Brexit is... Like, it's a, it's, it's a dumpster fire. There's nothing good has come from Brexit. The stuff about the, you know, saying that the vaccine rollout happened because of Brexit, that's, that's rubbish. It's not true. I know. And I know. The, you, you just talk about freedom of movement like well our freedom of movement has been reduced because of brexit it's not been increased it's been reduced it's harder to travel from europe now because of brexit and these and queues it, in dover you know there's all the, i don't know if you saw the led by donkeys thing this week where they had the big yeah. led screen and there's mr reese mogg talking about like you know the queues will not be in dover they'll be in calais and it's like uh, james o'brien did a thing this week and he was like I, I, he said i don't know now were they misleading us or are they just stupid did they not know that these things were going to happen <laughs> you remember dominic rab came out and said like who knew that we used the channel so much <laughs> to, like who, who knew we depended on this so much it's like well i did like I, and i don't i'm not you know i don't do deals with europe but i could have worked that out it's, so you, it's do, you wonder is it incompetency is it stupidity is it dishonesty i mean and yet, i think and, and again the media don't, they don't, they don't, bbc that's fine yeah it's business as usual yep that's normal it's normal it's normal it is, and I think that that's the, the other thing to come back to Keir Starmer again is that he gave that speech about the single market and all that kind of stuff the week before the summer holiday started. Mm. So he comes out and categorically says, "No way, we can join the single market." Blah blah blah. No freedom of movement. And then the following weekend, everyone's in queues at Dover and can't yeah. move. And you're like, "Who is planning your calendar, mate? Yeah, who's planning your calendar so that you're not actually?" thinking to yourself well if i'm going to do this speech i should probably do it a long way away from that event because either people just think i'm stupid mm. or they think that i don't care but about I think, people's just, situation i mean we've talked about keir starmer's kind of slight rubbishness before but i, I honestly think any labor leader would struggle just with the way the media um messaging is right now it's very difficult because I don't think we've ever been in a time where the media as a whole has acted as a kind of mouthpiece for the, the status quo. Not even just for the government, just for like things the way they are. Um, but I do, I do think, though, that you're right. You're absolutely right. But at the same time, he doesn't need to speak. Just don't speak then. No. Just don't speak. Like, you don't need to give a major speech on Europe. Yeah. I mean, you Jordan Keating said it best, didn't he? Yes, exactly. Life is a <laughs> We're loving each day. Loving each day since the last. <laughs> Father and son. Um. <laughs> but, 
<laughs> but I do think that it's it, that's the other thing is like he came out and that whole thing of and and I know they're trying to pigeonhole, but the 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 whole we're not allowed to stand on uh, picket lines thing. Yeah. These are the first strikes in gen- in a generation where the nation is behind the people that are striking. It's mm-hmm. the first time in a generation that you've been able to vox pop people and mm-hmm. actually you're getting, even though vox pops are often done to very prejudiced vox pops because you get the loudest, you know, most frustrated, um, you know, Tory lady speaking. But actually a lot of these vox pops are coming back saying, yeah, I understand why they're striking. Yeah, we, you know, the, their pay has gone down by such and such in real terms. And all this kind of stuff, and 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 yet he's making a oh, big no. fuss about it. Just, just stop talking. Shut up here. I mean, oh, talking about Tony. I mean, there was I was watching the BBC News briefly last night, and they were, they were talking about the strikes. And there was this woman, and she was like, "Yeah, I don't go to London very often, but you know, I was supposed to go and have a lunch date with my daughter today, and it's just ridiculous that I can't do it now." And you're like, "Oh, my heart bleeds for you, you poor lady." But yeah, you just wonder, like, who's advising him? It's like when the, you know, when when Boris resigned. This Keir Starmer, like, straight out his podium going, right, Labour, I've got to do this. You've got to do this. It's like, just shut up. Just, just, yeah, don't just... make it about you just now. Just shut up. Or when, when, when the Durham police found that he wasn't guilty, he had to get his podium set up and he had to say something. It's like, why yeah. are you doing this? Just leave it. Just leave it. Yeah, just, just let... I know, I, mean, I understand it's been difficult. I mean, it has been difficult because of the, the pandemic, especially. It's been very difficult to be in opposition because obviously the mm. government has had so much media time and air time. And I wonder if that's what's changed things, the fact that we've had so much access to the government in the last two or three years that it's very difficult for anyone in opposition to really have any kind of say, and especially given the majority that they've got. But that's true. there's just times where you're just but, like, just stop speaking. I mean, I honestly, and I, I, don't, I don't mind saying this, I was hoping Durham Police would find him guilty, and then would get a new leader. <laughs> I like. I, th- I mean, I do. I, I think he's a he's a decent guy. He's a man of. He's an intelligent guy. He, see, he does. He seems like a kind of. He's an honest guy, um, but he's just not very good at doing what he's supposed to do, which is, you know, bringing the government to. T- I mean, he's been better in PMQs of late, but mm. just when you see him speaking, sometimes you're like, oh, just stop, stop using that voice. I mean, it's his voice. I can't really <laughs> help it. But at, when Tony Blair first came out, you know, when he was like suddenly like the new, the new Labour frontman, like there was never, a, I mean, he has a like, you know, Tony Blair had that, you know, really, uh, you know, posh voice. <laughs> but you were like, there was never a point where like, oh God, his voice. But as Keir Starmer, there's times where you're like, oh, just please stop speaking, please. And I, you can I, just almost, when he, when he speaks, I imagine people across the country watching the news going, oh, listen to that voice. Yeah, they are doing that. And also the other thing they're thinking is, and this is what when you were saying is it must be so hard to get airtime. And it really is. So when you get the chance to give airtime, what is the point of coming out saying your policy of not rejoining the single market and not getting involved with um, freedom of movement is exactly the same as the government's? Or don't go on the picket line because we don't agree with the strikes. It's exactly the same as the government's. Or, you know, what they're now doing is saying, like, you know, the windfall tax, that was our idea that the government's now doing. I mean, like that. I mean, that's the problem is that they were going on and already yeah. for six months. The government does it, and the government can now say, "Oh, we've done this, and we're going to help people." What can yeah. I mean? Labour to people who don't follow politics quite as in, in detail as we do. Labour just look. They just look. They're kind of they're like a sort of younger sibling trying to copy their big brother. Yeah, um, that is Come all on. they look like, and that's the problem. The fact that Labour are having to pretend that Brexit's a good idea. They're having to pretend that they don't support trade unions and strikes. All they're do- and, and they're doing that because they know that they have to appeal to a certain 
base in England. So all that happens is there's probably red wall folk who are going to be like, well, I'm not going to vote for Labour if they don't support the unions and if they Ooh. don't do this. Um, I, I just, I, they're very, I feel like they've been kind of caught in a trap. It happened in Scotland after the referendum that Labour got yeah. kind of trapped. The Tories kind of laid a trap for them and they can't really escape that because they have to keep supporting the union. And in doing that, there's a lot of lefty people in Scotland who'll never vote Labour again. Yeah. And now in England, because they're not supporting trade unions or because they're refusing to acknowledge that leaving the single market was a bad idea, there's a lot of kind of groovy left-wing folk in England who'll not vote Labour. Yeah. And I, the I, kind of the ones who vote Tory because they like the sort of Rwanda stuff, they're probably not going to come back to Labour because they think, you yeah. know, they, they hear words like, you know, Keir Starmer's woke. Yeah. I don't even want to like what we could probably do a whole hour just talking about woke and that whole thing about I mean, what I really can't stand now, and again, this nobody ever picks them up. You get so many Tory MPs coming on the BBC or wherever, and they keep talking about woke agenda this, woke that, and no one ever picks them up and says, Look, what do you mean by woke? Yeah. Do you mean do you mean like you, you don't like racism and homophobia? Because that I mean to me, when someone describes wokeness, what they're meaning is someone who doesn't like racism, who thinks that people of different races should be treated the same, uh, usually something to do with homophobia or trans people. That's what woke is. It's like if you support people of different <laughs> different ethnicities and different sexual orientations, that's woke. So basically, what's the opposite of woke then? Surely the opposite of woke is just racist or fascist or sexist or misogynist. And I don't know why nobody ever picks up on that. Because I've heard various Tory MPs in the last month. Kemi Babinow kept talking about woke what I can't understand about the whole wokeism and the woke agenda is that, certainly in Britain anyway, is that you've got a right-leaning party, by, defi- um, by self-definition, a right-leaning party who've been in power for 12 years and have got a majority of 80. You've got a media owned by old white men who mm. are all right-wing for the most part. You've got the head of the BBC is, an, is a white man in his 50s who was previously a Tory member. You've got, you know, we can all mm. of the political editors in the BBC have got conservative connections. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm really not seeing Andrew Neil is the main interviewer on Channel 4. Like, where is the woke agenda? Where is it winning? The only two news channels that have been launched in the last 20 years have mm-hmm. both been anti-woke news channels um if somebody could please tell me where donald trump rose to power on via twitter and facebook so therefore the two major social media channels cannot be considered the the legions of woke um and all of the major record labels and cinema or filmmaking companies um are also owned by white men in their 50s so if anyone can tell me who is currently and i'm sure if we went through the FTSE 100 and the main wall street um companies um then i think we'd probably find that the vast majority of them are owned by white men in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s so if anyone can tell me where the woke agenda is winning Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see it. The woke liberal mainstream agenda, yeah, um, as espoused by the Daily Mail, the Express, and Sky. <laughs> and various people. Yeah. It's 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 when you break it down, it's utterly nonsensical. It's yeah. like there that was are... the thing when when they started GB News. You know, you'd Andrew Neil yeah. saying like we've been silenced for too long. It's like sorry, you've had a slot on the BBC for one hundred and fifty years. What are you talking about? <laughs> 
all these people that say, oh, we've been silenced, Pierce Morgan, it's like, you've not been silenced. You've got millions of followers on Twitter. Pierce Morgan was on ITV. Andrew Neil was on BBC. How were you silenced? Exactly. You left to start your own stupid news channels, but you weren't silenced. Pierce Morgan left ITV because he went in a huff because somebody actually called him out and something stupid he yeah. said about Meghan Markle. Exactly. It's, um, yeah, um, a person of colour, if memory serves me right, said that. It too. was indeed. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, yeah, you'd go, and, and then this is the irony, is this is the utter baffling nature of it, is that what would ultimately be considered woke in some senses is the idea of something that's been a bastion of maleness for so long and a bastion of white working class maleness for so long is um, is, is football. And yet mm. today in England, at least, mm. the entire nation is going to pretend it's interested in women's football, uh, a multicultural women's football team that does contain people of different uh, sexual orientation. Um, and we are going to, you know, I mean, and, and fair play to the, to, to the England women's football team. I really do hope they win today and fair play if they do and fantastic. But the idea that it'll be all over the front of the Daily Mail, it'll be Boris Johnson singing its praises, Kemi Badenoch no doubt singing its praises. And you're like, this is everything you hate. Yes. This is a multicultural, multi-ethnic, orientation. The same thing happened last year with the Euros with the men. Yeah, until they because lost and, and three they black lost, men missed they, the penalty. The three black men missed the penalty <laughs> and then they could finally see what they actually thought about them. But we had yeah. a month of all the English media, all the politicians, all the horrible bigots, you know, saying it's coming home and talking about football, you know, the three lines and the shirt and all this stuff. But when you actually listened to what Gareth Southgate and a lot of his players were saying in press conferences, it was very much against what all these kind of horrible yeah. right-wing media people so, so I mean, if the, if the if the England women's team lose tonight, I'm sure they'll be. It probably won't be quite as unpleasant as it was for the men, but but no, certainly, but if, yeah. yeah. But if Nikita Paris, who who is who is, mm. um, I think, dual heritage, if she misses a, the the decisive yeah. penalty kick tonight, um, then you know, then we'll get all sorts of. Um, all sorts of sort of vitriol, because of course, if you remember last year's Euros, is uh, for the first three games, we were just being consistently told that they weren't patriotic because they kept on taking the knee. Mm. You know, um, and then you had Pretty Patel in an England shirt by the final. You know, it's um, it's it's just it's just a well, ridiculous... You had Pretty Patel saying it was okay to boo black yes. England players for taking the knee. Yes. They were being patriotic. The uh, ones that were booing were being patriotic. Yes, they were, they were the patriots. And yet the Liverpool fans would be the national anthem are not patriots, apparently. <laughs> Which was very funny yesterday, but uh, yeah. I do feel in the, in that sense, we're, we're in those football games, just as a slight aside, is in the football games where the Liverpool, because it's very rare, it never happens at England games, but when when um, Liverpool players boo the national anthem, I do always feel sorry for the poor woman who's yeah. singing it because I'm like, oh, she probably thought that that this was going to be her big moment. the highlight of her career, just getting booed <laughs> by some scousers. <laughs> that must be awful. Joe, my, Joe, I thought the highlights of yesterday's game were what's that? M Salah's hair. He had oh, highlights. He had new... Salah, frosted tips. <laughs> he had... Remember you and I did that for comic relief once when we were teachers? We as soon as I saw M. Salah at the start, I was like, that reminds me of me and John when we were here highlighted 20 years ago. Oh, M. Salah. I but really enjoyed it. I mean, because I mean, it was a... the Community Shield's a kind of meaningless game, let's be honest. Oh, but it was very funny because obviously all the focus was on Manchester City's superstar mm. summer signing, who was pretty rubbish yesterday. 
Yeah, he was. I mean, he'll still score 500,000 I'm goals sure he'll score a lot of goals, but... but it was just, it was very funny that M. Salah was still the best player on the pitch yesterday. Oh, yes, he was. He was wonderful, old M. Salah. But, um... Um, but in, in terms of, let's talk about some, I'm not quite sure how long we've been going for. Now. We've been going for 35 uh, minutes. Right, so let's do a quick um, something good. Anything good, Ian? Anything good? Book, <sighs> film, music, anything good? Um... Well, yeah, we talked about Outlaws already. I think you did a couple of weeks ago because I finally watched mm. Outlaws and I really enjoyed it. So I don't really want to talk about that. I started watching an interesting one on Disney Plus. Um, is it Under the Banner of Heaven? Is that what it's called? Oh, I keep meaning to start that. Yeah, we watched, watched the yet. first episode. It's oh, it's weird. It's really good. Mm. Um, it's based on a true story, and it's got Andrew Garfield as a kind of um, a very religious cop. It's it's all set in this kind of. Um, this little small town where there's a murder of somebody who's part of the... I keep saying LSD, but it's the LDS, isn't it? The Latter-day... Oh, was... Church of the Latter-day Saints, yeah. Yeah, because it said... They keep talking about LDS, and I always say LSD. But he's part of, Like, Andrew Garfield's policeman is part of that as well. He's also... Um, ah, right, okay. A Mormon. And it's all about this kind of very strange and weird Mormon community where there's been a murder. Um... It's very atmospheric. We've watched the first episode on Friday night and probably watch another one tonight. Um, it's really good. Andrew Garfield's exceptionally good. Right. I'm I also watch watched that and I also watched that Tammy Faye film last week with Andrew Garfield. The which one? Tammy Faye. Oh, is Andrew the... Garfield in that? Andrew Garfield plays the husband. Ah, oh, I did not know that. Yeah, he plays uh, Jessica Chastain's husband in it. So oh, he's the, they're right. the two main characters. Excellent. Really enjoyed it. Oh, didn't know well. anything about Tammy Faye um, and her husband. Didn't know. I mean, I was kind of. I remember when the film came out and there was, you know, chat about how good she was. I remember reading mm. a wee bit about it, but I didn't really know the story because that whole televangelism thing's not something that we have over here. I mean, the closest no. we ever had to that was Highway with Harry Seacombe, which is not really televangelism. <laughs> Harry Seacombe walking through the Lake District saying, "Go bide with me." It's not really the no. same thing. There, there but, is actually there is actually a brilliant podcast. John Ronson did a set of podcasts last year on the BBC it's on there's still an iPlayer I think and and Tammy Faye is mm. in one of the episodes um, it's just all about how the culture war started the entire series so that's well worth a listen yeah uh, and that's the, and the well. interesting thing about her is like you know she was a televangelist and the, the, her and her husband were fraudsters they made a lot of money but she was very I mean, the, the reason she got into a lot of bother was that she was very pro LGBT she was like a, yeah. you know, a very strong proponent of she had gay people on um, her, her TV show and it was interesting watching the the church people very much against her having these. Mm. She'd have like people of you know ethnic backgrounds and people with diverse sexualities coming on to talk about their issues. Um, but no, a very interesting character, and it was a bit, so. I'd, I'd, this is my double, double Andrew Garfield recommendation right. would be Under the Banner of Heaven and the the Tammy Faye. They're both on Disney Plus just now, so I would recommend them. What about yourself? You get. Uh, not much. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying only murders in the building. Uh, I haven't watched it yet. I'm saving it till I think I'm just gonna save that till it's finished. Till save that till it's finished. Understandable. It's really really good. It's, it can it maintains the quality I think of, of last season. Um, the other thing is this is just a random one. Is yesterday I decided to have um, Prince Day, so oh. I only listened to Prince albums. Um, and uh, probably maybe next time we talk, whether it be next week or whatever, next time we do a pod, we might talk about this in more depth. But um, it was surprising because I listened to the Symbol album in its entirety for the first time in ages, like in its entirety. And oh my goodness, 
oh my goodness, it's a good album. <laughs> like, obviously, that's such an obvious statement for me and you to make as mm. Prince fans. But when you go back and listen to it just from start to finish with headphones on, so there's nothing else going on, it's only that album that you're thinking about, you're like, oh my goodness, he was good. Mm. It's just lovely to remind yourself from time to time just about how good he was. Yeah. I think that that's the thing is, I mean, so I listen to Diamonds and Pearls, I listen to Gold Experience, I listen to the Symbol album, I listen to 1999 album, I listen to the, the covers one, I think it's called Originals, isn't it? Where mm-hmm. like Manic Monday and Nothing Compares to You and, and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, just, um, yeah, if you're, if you're thinking, because of streaming, this can sometimes happen, you can sometimes get into a listening rut and you're mm-hmm. like, what do I want to listen to? There's so much to choose from. What should I listen to? Just go back and listen to a few Prince albums because you'll be blown away. Um, shout out to Beyonce's new album. It's really oh good. yeah, 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 very much so, very much so. Um, although, although, it's... yes, that's <laughs> right. From the very start, there's like a sample with the F word <laughs> several times at the very start because I was playing it quite loudly on Friday. I was like, oh, I think I'll just headphone this one. I don't think I'll let my kids hear this because <laughs> I looked through. There's like 16 tracks, and I would say about 11 of the 16 have like the meat e next to them for swearing. I mean, there is a non-swear version, but given the way that the tracks are built, I'm not sure what it would sound like. I imagine it would just be mostly silence. <laughs> yes, first part of a trilogy, isn't it? This, this mm. album. Yeah. Um, so very much looking forward to the next parts as well. But yeah, she's she's doing well. But yes, um, Prince Prince is my recommendation for this week. Just as something, you know, just it's always nice to revisit the class. So Prince and Andrew Garfield. Prince and Andrew Garfield, what a combination. Oh, before I forget, because I might forget. Are you aware that Nick Hornby is publishing a book in the autumn called Dickens and Prince? No. And it's it's a uh, investigation or whatever you want to call it, an exploration probably best about the gene the twin geniuses of Charles Dickens and Prince. Oh, that sounds perfect for us. <laughs> I know that's what I was thinking. I was like, surely this is a fever dream. But no, I looked oh. it up again today just to make sure I wasn't making it up. Did Prince do a concept album based on Dombey and Son? <laughs> His Pickwick Papers album was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, oh, I don't know how that will work as a book, but it's well, I'm very much great, looking forward to it. Great expectations for that one. <laughs> but yes, anyway, so listener, we've taken up too much of your time already today, but uh, we've had a summer off, so we had a lot to talk about. Indeed. Uh, but anyway, yes, uh, we'll hope to speak to you soon. Enjoy yourselves till then. Try and avoid the Tory party leadership debate. Yeah. Yes, bye! Bye, everyone!